Are there really angels and demons? Is there a real person known as the devil? Is there something deeper? Is there an unseen battle waging for the souls of this blue planet? If so, then how do we respond? In this series, Pastor Ronnie answers those questions and more as we look at what the Bible says about angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given in the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all uh, perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in the chains and that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so how many of you are glad that football season is back Yes, all of the heathens in the house glorifying and worshiping America's largest idol. The truth is, the truth is, uh, see, I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan, uh, so uh, football season is really never a big deal. Don't tell me that they've made the playoffs the last two years. It doesn't count until they win a playoff game. Um, I'm not really paying a whole lot of attention. And the real truth is, I don't even know if the University of Kentucky plays football. <laughs> I know they play basketball. And that's all that really matters uh, to me, to me, to me, to me. So uh, we're going to be playing basketball in heaven. I'm pretty confident of that. Uh, but I am really glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we love uh, to take the time uh, just to make much of Jesus. So we sing some songs, and, and it's our way of worshiping him. And the Bible says that um, he inhabits the praises of his people. And so that's why we, we sing. And then we are people of the book. We believe that this Bible is authoritative. We believe that it is inspired. And I dare say I even believe it's infallible. I don't, um, people ask me, do you take the Bible literally? Yes, and I take it seriously. And so that's what we're going to look at today. If you wouldn't mind turning your Bibles uh, to Ezekiel chapter 28. And then if you'll stand with me as we read the word of God together. I'm going to read uh, some scriptures to you. So just stand with me. Turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 28. And we're going to, going to read a little bit of scripture together. Picking up in verse 11, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord your God, You were the signet of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This is not talking about me. This book was written a long, long time ago. In verse 13, it says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Verse whatever. 
the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle. Guys, I don't know what that is, but you should probably maybe pick that up for your wife for your anniversary. Uh, figure out what a carbuncle is and then swoop that up and then just say, honey, it was out of Ezekiel. No one's ever heard of it. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart, your, excuse me, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes upon you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. I brought fire out from the midst. I consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. And all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it... uh, Uh, is there for us to learn and for us to be guided by. And so, Father, I just ask that as we take this time to unpack these scriptures today, uh, that we realize that we are encountering you every time we unpack your word, that the living word of God is the present voice of God for all of us to discover your perfect will for our lives. Father, I pray that today uh, what I share with this church would fall on good soil. I believe in this word and the power that resides in it. Uh, thank you for this series and what you want to do in our lives this week. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the late, you can be seated, in the late 1940s, uh, there was a, a President Eisenhower commissioned five Navy vessels to be built. One of those Navy vessels was even going to bear the name of the good old United States. It was known as the SS United States. This commissioned Navy uh, ship was going to be the fastest ship in the ocean. It was also going to be able to carry more troops, 15,000 to be exact, to anywhere in the United in, in the world, excuse me, quicker than anything else. You could get to any destination in the world from port in less than 10 days. It was a, um, a sight to be seen. It was said that they could go for 10 days, um, or no, excuse me, 10,000 miles without ever worrying about refueling or supply. It was called the USS, or the SS United States. Do you know the SS United States was actually never commissioned into battle? It never was. It was put on standby once but it never was used for its purpose. Instead, what happened to the SS United States? I'm glad you asked. You guys are full of great questions. It was actually turned into a luxury cruise liner for presidents, for heads of states, and for celebrities. So because of its newfound use, it could no longer 
ship 15,000 people into a battle-ready area at any given moment. He couldn't do that anymore. Now it could only hold a little bit less than 2,000. There were 695 staterooms for you to enjoy your luxurious stay. There were four dining salons. In case you didn't like one, you could go and eat at the other. There were three bars. That's what I'm talking about. There were two theaters. Go just watch a couple movies. There was even five acres of open deck with a heated pool. This once battle-ready, the epitome of the U.S. Navy, is now a luxury cruise liner. My thoughts today as we start this series is I wonder if the church, Big C, is no longer a battle-tested vehicle for putting us into a real war with a real adversary and if we haven't become a luxury cruise liner. I mean, even I process these thoughts of of, of how things go in our service and this pursuit of excellence. I even think about our kids upstairs and the curriculum that we invest in and the black lights and the cool set designs and everything that we do. Are we uh, training ourselves for war or are we uh, just slowly but surely becoming a luxury cruise line? You know, the idea behind the invisible war is that there's a war raging all around us. This is not a game. There's a real battle waging for real souls. And we are either actively participating through building the church, through prayer, through the study of God's word, or we are pawns, simple tools to be used by an adversary to distract us with chasing trinkets. Uh, We're going to look at how the adversary engages. Today, I just want you to know who the devil is. Next week, I'll talk to you about his tactics. I think it's important to note that he has been doing them for thousands of years. So he's kind of got some of his methodology figured out. He's used the same methods that we'll talk about next week for millennia, and yet we still fall prey and victim. But I think it's because his tactics really are perfected. We're going to look today at the devil's beginning, the devil's army, and the devil's ending. So who's the devil? Chastity so eloquently read Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be studying verses 10 through 20 for the next four weeks. We're just going to unpack them each week. And the one we're going to hone in on for the next couple of weeks is just really one verse. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So who is the devil? Jesus in John chapter 10, he lays out the devil's mission statement. He says that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That would be what would be like in quotes on his business card. If he had one, I don't know if you've ever got one from him, it would freak me out. But he, this is what it would say. It would say that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. 
That's your life, your family, your dreams, your goals, your children, your calling. He has come for one simple purpose. That's what Jesus said. Trust that dude. You raised from the dead, I will trust you too. In John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to religious leaders, and this is what he says about them. You are like your father, the devil, your father. And it says this, he does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what Jesus says. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to a church in Corinth, and he says this in chapter 11, and no wonder Satan even disguises himself as an angel of light. And then Peter one of the inner circle of Jesus who was rather really close to Jesus, he challenges us to do this, to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Asterisk. This is what I know. According to statistics, about 70% of you in this room, hopefully not at this church, right? That's what every pastor hopes for. Don't believe that the devil is real, that there's really demons, or that there really is evil. You don't. You believe he's a mythical creation, kind of like the tooth fairy. And so you really pay him no mind. The translation from the word Satan in Hebrew is translated to the word adversary. To think that you can ignore spiritual warfare will hinder all that God desires to do through you. Now, I'm going to talk about this more next week. But if you think for one second that you don't have to fight, or if if you don't fight, you won't have to, you're a fool. The devil, I just want to clarify just some ground rules here. He is not equal to Christ. Okay, he is not Jesus's brother. Okay, it's heresy. That's what that is. He's not Jesus's brother. He is a created being. It was more than likely the most powerful person in heaven, or given the most influence in heaven, besides uh, God Himself. But he was created. He was a fallen angel, with just like you and I, but was had free will. He was given free will. Most commentators and theologians that I trust believe that the portion of Scripture that I read to you out of Ezekiel chapter 28 is not referencing some real king in a physical place called Tyra. That Ezekiel is moving into a word when he says he's speaking on behalf of the Lord and God is prophetically laying out the groundwork for who the adversary is. We can pick that up in verse 14 of Ezekiel 28. It says this, You were anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you where you were there on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until, everybody say until, unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were eternally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. This cherub was seated in the highest place in the heavenlies. 
the word covering actually means more than cover. It means to protect or to look over or to maybe even rule over. One Hebraic tradition actually says that Satan was the protector of all of God's creation. And maybe uh, we could look at him uh, as the guardian of the earth or the original guardian of the galaxy long before Chris Pratt. That's who he was. He was the guardian of one that covered. And you know what? I think I'd be filled with a lot of pride too. If God entrusted me with all of creation, if God entrusted me to be the guardian of the galaxy, I could see how pride would creep in. And that's what happened to Lucifer or Satan. He was anointed and created with purpose. His life was in the midst of God. Job gives us a glimpse in chapter 1 where he goes in and out of the presence of God. Uh, the abundance of his trade, the multitude of his merchandise, quite possibly on an attack or revealing the pride that he had. He was perfect and still pride crept in. He was entrusted by God with so much and still pride crept in. He was the highlight of God's heavenly creation. Notice I said heavenly creation. He was the highlight. The Bible says that God created stones. Remember, gentlemen, you're going to buy your wife some carbuncle or something, jewelry later. I, he was, he, God created jewels to adorn him with. He was the highlight of the creation of heaven. He was given him stature. He would have had influence. Everybody probably knew his name. And he desired to be worshipped. And because of his pride, sin crept in. Sin was found in him. The devil was a high-ranking angel. He had free will. It crept in. He decided that he deserved to be worshipped. He decided to be that he needed to be God. And you know the adversary just is struggling with the same thing you and I struggle with every day. Am I the only one with that complex? How is this going to affect me? I use this acronym a lot with them. What's in it for me? We do this all the time. When we place our lives above what the word of God says, what we're basically doing is we're making ourselves God. Oh, no, pastor, that's not how. Yes, that's exactly how you feel. Well, I wouldn't think that. Yes, your actions made just said that you thunk it. And I'm the same way. I'm not sitting up here on some spiritual pedestal. I'm saying I struggle with this exact same things. And it's the same thing that, that, that God gives us is free will. And every day I have to die to myself and live for Christ. Or I am just like our adversary who was banished from heaven because of pride. When Ephesians 6, chapter 12, verse, chapter 6, verse 12, lists that long list of flesh and blood rulers, authorities, and against cosmic powers, one commentator who I have a lot of... Um, I like him a lot. His name is Dr. Chuck Misler. He said that we are to note that these lists are not only for us to take seriously, but quite possibly in order of, re, of rank. 
Think of it as a glimpse into the hierarchy of spiritual warfare. The devil is not alone. The devil is not omniscient. He does not have foreknowledge, but the devil knows of the heritage that we come from. He is perfected at watching how people's bends are. He's been doing this for millennial. He continues to watch. There might be relationships in your life right now that he put in there to distract you from the perfect will of God. And they might not even materialize for a while. He put desires in your heart that are really selfish ambitions and we might justify them as spiritual causes. Let me tell you the prayer I prayed. Well, um, I started a company once many years ago and I said, God, listen, I need you to build this thing and I promise I'm going to give it all away. I'll give half of it away to missions. Once I reach X amount of dollars, that's pride. Pride is, you know what, God, I'm going to put my hand to whatever you want me to put my hand towards, whatever you call me to, whatever you bless me with, I'm going to give away anyway, whether or not you give me X amount of dollars or not. We are so prideful. Maybe it's just me. Is it just me? So does the devil have some homies? Unfortunately, yes. I don't know how many, so don't ask me later. I'll do this. I'll give you a mathematical equation. It was a third of all the angels that were created. A third. 33.33%. What the Bible says. Revelations chapter 12, verse 4, it says, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. The woman is Israel. The birth that she's about to give is the church. Make no mistake about that. To devour her child as soon as it was born. And he has been trying to devour the church ever since she has been born. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world, whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Jude chapter 1 verse 6 tells us this, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, the angels that did not do what they were created to do, the angels that did not stay in subjection to the creator of the universe, but left their own abode, they left home, they left, they went in a direction they weren't supposed to go, he is reserved an everlasting chain under darkness for the judgment of that great day. A third of the angels of heaven followed the adversary, probably because of his influence, maybe he forced some, I really don't know, but what I know is that there are battalions of demons that are raging war against the lost of this world and against Christians who are trying to live out the purposes of God. He is attempting to thwart the things of God, and he has been. He is relentlessly attacking the heart of man. They have claimed many of victims along the way. Like the adversary, like Satan, his army is condemned. I need you to put this in your pipe and I need you to smoke this, inhale it good. Hell was never created for man. It was never. It wasn't created for man. Hell was created for the devil when he chose to oppose the things of God. And it was created for those that followed Satan. But God is a gentleman. He has the perfect creator of all things and he is not going to impose his will upon you and in the great words of the old blue-eyed frank sinatra i'll have it my way god says have it your way and sometimes there will be let me just rephrase it this way 
put it this way. There will no be no person in hell that did not choose to be there. Those who choose not to have a relationship with God and trust him alone, speaking of Jesus and follow his ways, will inherit the same fate and the same separation. And yes, that sucks. Christians should never mention hell without being broken. Hell is as real as the adversary is. Hell is the final condemnation of God for those who choose not to submit to his ways and to trust in Christ for salvation. The adversary and his army have already been condemned, but you and I have a choice. I want you to try to understand the passion behind the adversary and the enemy. I want you to think of it in this light. If we can imagine heaven for what we've seen and what we've heard and what we've tried to process in our finite, limited, created minds, and then I want you to quantify that because it's better than anything we can imagine. And then I want you to think about that being ripped away from you. I want you to think about not ever being able to be in the presence of God again. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter 3-ish, maybe 1, that Jesus, it is by him that all things are held together. So even this creation that we sit in and that we are in as far as our, our world is held together by him. And imagine being separated from that. Imagine being separated from beauty and perfection. Imagine being banished from the presence of God. Imagine how angry and filled with hatred that you would be. And I believe that's what's so intimidating. They know what they're fighting for because of what they have lost. And at all costs, they desire to keep anyone out of that place that they will never live in again. How's it going to end? Great question. Glad you asked again. In the book of Ezekiel, we can see it says, Your heart was filled up with pride because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by the reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. This is what I want you to see. This is what, how the, ES, or the King James puts it. The King James says that last sentence, And you will cease to be forever. Revelations 20 tells us, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from the prison and he will come out to deceive the nations throughout the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for a battle. Their numbers like the sand of the sea and they marched up from the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This existence will be snuffed out. It's only because of pride that we ever desire to be greater than God. It is only because of the pride of our hearts that we ever choose to live indifferent to the will of God. So eternity is taken away from the devil, Lucifer, the adversary, 
So his pride and his hatred filled his heart, and his goal, his attempt, is to thwart anyone from experiencing and receiving what has been lost to him forever. He has lost his fellowship with the Creator. And I don't know how long that he lived in that world, in that place, but I know he'll never be there again. William Gurnwall said this, It is the image of God reflected in you that so enrages hell. It is wit, it, that, wow, easy for me to say. It is that at which the demons hurl their mightiest weapons. See, it is the potential that he sees in you. In closing, next week uh, we'll go deeper into the schemes and the tactics of the devil. And I want to land today with a few thoughts. This is out of uh, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. He says that the devil, devil has two great hopes. Two great hopes. Hope number one is to convince the world that he doesn't exist. And if 70% of the church, use that word loosely, don't believe that he is real, then he is doing a great job. But he also has another hope. It says equally... Um, impacting and his hope is to convince that there is no evil and that like the devil is behind everything like basically taking away free will c.s lewis put it this way in the screw tape letters the safest road to hell is a gradual one the gentle slope soft underfoot without sudden turnings without milestones without signposts this side of eternity, we will always struggle with a real enemy. In addition, there will always be a real battle in this world. Guys, some of the things that you fight against are because, we'll look at this next week, Satan is the ruler of this world. So there, you're always also going to be fighting the temptations of this world, and you're also always going to be fighting the pride of your flesh because you're no different than the adversary, your desire, if you're not careful, if Jesus isn't sitting on the throne of your heart in his rightful place, you will put something else there, and a good thing can be turned into a God thing, and it becomes idolatry. It could be your family. It could be your job. It could be your career. It can be your kids. You can put something, your husband, your wife, your future, something else more important than God sitting on the throne of your life. It's pride and it's idolatry. For the Christian, I want to speak to you the gospel of hope. A hope that the Holy Spirit, because of your conversion, making Jesus the Lord of your life. Because of that hope, you have the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you. 
to help give you strength over the temptation that the adversary will throw at you, to lead and guide you, to allow you to have the mind of Christ. For the Christian, you have Jesus sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for you, telling the Father that, yes, you failed, but your sins are covered by the precious blood of the Lamb. For the Christian, you have the Father who's in love with you, who Jesus tells you to affectionately call Abba. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. We cannot live as Christians in fear of a constant evil of this world. I want you, as we unpack this text that's tough reading over the next few weeks, I want you to be confident in the hope in the joy that is found in the gospel alone. Grace is a beautiful thing. The adversary is a, all the words. And he will lie to you. He will remind you of your past. He will tell you that you are not good enough. He will tell you that your future is dismal. He will try to live, uh, how, uh, try to get you to live life with no hope. Napoleon said this, death is nothing, but to live defeated and inglorious is to die daily. Not living up to your potential is inglorious. Not living out your calling that God has specifically placed on your life is inglorious. There's a couple of different ways we do this. One, we continue to live for self. It's the with them. It's all about me, how it impacts me, what's in it for me. And the with them person, this is what they'll say. Well, I'll serve the kingdom when, dot, dot, dot. And your win will never come. Well, I'll get really involved in a, a city group. I'll get really involved in serving the church. I'm going to go all in advancing the kingdom of heaven, making sure that I'm a part of the war that's raging. I'm all in. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go all in, but it'll happen once the kids are out of the house. It's going to happen once I get my next promotion. It's going to happen when, and the adversary has you turning your wheels because you're dialing, dying daily, and it is inglorious. I'm merely suggesting that by living defeated and distracted lives, that we are not living the way that God intended for you to live. Your potential is limitless because you bear the image of the creator of the universe. Your potential is limitless because you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit under the authority of Jesus Christ and a loving Father who is so passionate about you. The adversary, you know why? He fears you, and he should. The adversary is seen over the centuries of time when men and women get passionate about the kingdom of heaven, and he sees what happens, and he will do anything he can to thwart that plan. He's afraid of you, and he should be, because you bear the image of God. Audacity, I ask you to be awakened. 
I ask that something stir in your soul, that you realize that there are real lives at stake. I know that planting a church, you are in the cross lines of him a lot. But I want you to live victoriously. No matter what circumstances come at you, I need you to approach it in joy with the confident hope of who Jesus is. Some of you today, you need to get off the cruise ship and you need to jump on the battle carrier. My prayer for this church is that the gates of hell literally shudder as we become all that we were created to be. My prayer is that the gates of hell tremble when you get on your face before a God who loves you and when you pray audaciously, when you start to believe that the body of Christ The church is the hope of the world. Awaken to the life that you are created. And know that you have a real enemy that doesn't want to see that happen. Remember, the adversary was was once an immortal being, and now he is awaiting destruction. And he does not want you to experience the life that has been given freely to you. When we live ingloriously, it's almost like we spit on the cross. When we live and are not actively engaged in this spiritual battle for real lives, for real people that are immortal, that will live forever, spit in Jesus' face. He paid too high of a cost for us to take this lightly. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.